We had the privilege of having Tom Job come and speak to our staff this summer. It's always a joy listening to Tom and share stories about his life in Jesus, and I love how they always seem to intertwine so well. If this is your first time listening to Tom, first, get pumped. Second, there are a few stages you'll go through when you listen to him. Stage one, you'll begin to ask yourself, where's this man going? He's all over the place. Stage two, you'll begin to think, this man's a genius and just a masterful storyteller. But then you'll get to stage three, and you'll say what they said of Peter and John in Acts 4, that this is an ordinary man, and take note that he's been with Jesus. Enjoy the next few talks of Tom addressing the Carolinas region. Anyway, it is like, whatever. So um, I just want to say it is like a super, super big honor for me and a privilege and um, to be here with you all because you're like my biggest, you're like you all are my biggest heroes like in all the world. And to be in the same room with you is a, it's just a super big honor. And it's kind of, it's scary too because um, it's not the scariest thing I do. So, like, for about seven years, I've had a Bible study in the, that I've done for, in the Morgan County Prison, in, um, kind of near my house. It's the biggest prison in Tennessee. That's a little bit scarier than this, but when, the first time I ever went, like, so, like, when the first time I ever went, um, so, so you go through security, and um, I was a little bit intimidated, and, I mean, they're very secure, like, Hello, they know you better than you know yourself. You know, I was in Barcelona, like two years ago, I was in Barcelona at the Young Life Camp in Barcelona, and I came back through Atlanta, and uh, you have to go through security again, and for some reason, I always set that thing off, and so the guy said, would you step over here, and I was like, okay, and then he said, I'm going to put my hands, like, down your pants, like, around, down the, your waistband of your pants, and just feel around, and I said, okay, hey. Before you do that, um, could you tell me your first name? I mean, just, just a have. But, uh, but it, so, like, you go through security, and then you go, so, like, the, to go back to the classrooms where we have, there they have the gym, the classrooms where we do our classes, it's like, a, it's a half a mile, so, and you're walking on this sidewalk, and there's like a bike path, there's like a, a stripe, it's like a, kind of like a bike path on this side and one on this side, so all the inmates going this way, walk single file like that way, and all the inmates coming this way, they walk single file on that bike path, and you just like walk right up the middle of them, and so, and the first time I was like, hey guys, I mean, I didn't know what you say, like, hey fellas, like, you know, what, what do you say, but I love the, the guys that I, I mean, there are guys in there that are like some of my closest brothers in Christ, and they're so sweet, and they come to know Jesus, and they fight so hard to stay encouraged in the most discouraging place in the world. And they, I mean, their face, like their faces are just full of the love of Jesus. They have some of the ugliest tats like you've ever seen. Like, like this arm will be like the devil and all of his evil angels, and then this one is like a map of hell. And then just on their face, you just see like the love of Jesus. And so I've always wanted to ask them, like, you know this whole thing about like accepting Jesus? You really didn't see it coming, did you? I mean, it was just kind of caught you by surprise. But anyway, I'm super glad. Um, I also. well, sometimes at Young Life, things, I can feel a little bit old just because, well, I tell you, you know what? I, so you, st- you can start on Medicare on the day you turn 65. 
This is my first day on Medicare. Now that, that's uh, I, uh, I got, um, I've been married to, the, to my girl for 44 years. I've got nine grandkids. I'm an old man. Like the, they say, you know, you're old when you bend down to tie your shoe and you think, is there anything else I need to do while I'm down here? But I thought the other day I saw that I've got those spots that on my hand that my granddad had. You know the those old people spots that. <laughs> The bananas, you know those spots that bananas get, you know? So, I figured, you know how like they measure your life in dog ears, you know? If they measured my life in banana days, I would be about four and a half days old. I figured be about, if I wake up one morning, there's like fruit flies just kind of flying around me. I'm about to, about to kick it, but, but, so I always feel like for Young Life things, if I'm starting to talk at a Young Life thing, and it is officially an hour or more after Tina and I are usually in bed, I am not fully responsible for any, everything that I might say. So um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, I wanted to talk to you all about three people that have really had a big impact on my life. From the New Testament, two of them, we don't even know what their name is, but you have people in your life, you're impacting the world now, and you have people in your life, and I don't know what their name is. So there's just, there's just certain people, I guess we'll get to heaven before we know what their name is, but... So, so the first one is a guy that, that this was when during Jesus, it was his last days walking in our world. And he was going through the city of Jericho. There were thousands of people following him. And there were thousands of people in the city anyway, because it was the Passover. And all of them had the same question. Is he the one? Is this the one who, is this the most important person who has ever walked in our earth? Is this the most powerful person that has ever breathed our air? Is this the one whose physical presence is going to overthrow empires and bring in a kingdom of love, peace, goodwill towards men? You know, and there was a, right outside the city gate, there was a blind guy, and he was a beggar. And we used to have a blind woman in our church, and a lot, uh, she was born blind. And a lot of times, people that are blind can just pick up things that other people don't, and they hear things that other people don't hear. So she used to be able to know, Olga could tell who you were. When you, came in the, when you came into the room, she could tell who you were and whether you were having a good day or a bad day by, the, by your footsteps on the floor. So, so here's this blind guy, and he's here listening to people talk about Jesus. And somebody's like, is that him? Yes, that's him. He's coming. That's him. Are you sure that's him? I would have thought he would have been taller. No, that's him. I've heard him many times. He tells the most wonderful stories. And then all of a sudden, you could hear this guy going, Son of David, like screaming, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's just like screaming, Son of David. And people are like, dude, shut it. Like that is like so inappropriate. Like you're just screaming at Jesus. And he just kept screaming as loud as he could to Jesus, Son of David. And there was something that, um, that he knew. I mean, he knew in his heart that Jesus had a heart for people like him, that the reason when Jesus takes over this world, it's going to be amazing, is because of his heart and because he had a heart for people like this beggar guy. He knew that Jesus had a heart for the unlovable person and the unsolvable problem. He knew that his hurt and Jesus' heart were the perfect combination. And Jesus stopped and said, get him. And they're like, way to go, dog. Now Jesus has to stop, you know, and deal with you. And you might be thinking, um, I know this guy's name. Like, this is Bartimaeus. I mean, I've known it ever since, like, he's like a rock star at VBS, you know? Like, I've heard of him my whole life. But um, I'm not talking about Bartimaeus because Matthew said, 
when he told that story that there were two of them. You think, how does one person believe what it's difficult to believe that very few people believe in the face of opposition and strong criticism? It wasn't one person. He had a friend. And I don't know whether it was Bartimaeus or I don't know whether it was his friend, but somebody said, one of them, hey, you know what? I think Jesus cares about people like you and me. You do? Yeah, I do. Like Isaiah said, he's like anointed to open our eyes. So why don't we just start yelling? Like just start screaming at him. Screaming at him. I mean, people will think we're nuts. Do you really care what they think of you? Do you know what they think of you? I mean, if Jesus was coming by and they're not all screaming at him, I think they're nuts. So let's just start screaming. Really? Yeah, if there's two of us, he'll hear us. We'll all do it if you'll do it. Okay, let's do it together. One, two, three. And they both started screaming. When you believe something that is difficult to believe, and very few people believe it, the one who believes it also is one of the most important people in your life. Like the Apostle Paul, he had a dream, you know, that this guy said, come over here. We all are waiting to hear all about Jesus. So come over here to Macedonia. You know, so he goes over there. And uh, I mean, in a matter of days, he's like beaten up, arrested, back in prison. And he could have been like, really like, God, I think this stinks. I mean, this is complete bull. I mean, like I'm just... Come here to serve you, and you treat me that way. But it's not what he did. Because he had a friend. And I don't know whether it was Paul, or I don't know whether it was Silas, but one of them said, I know we're back here, and I know this hurts a lot, but Jesus loves us. Oh, yeah, he does. We know he loves us. He gave his like, life for us. And he's risen from the dead. He's working out a plan. I think this is part of a plan. You do? Yeah, I really, really do. I don't know what it is, but I think it's part of one. When you don't know what to do, let's do what we know to do. Let's just start singing. Really, yeah, let's just start singing. Let's just start praising him. And they did. And they just started singing to Jesus. And the guy that had beaten them up and thrown them in prison was listening to them, thinking, wow. I don't know what that is. But I want it. And in a matter of minutes, he was asking them, whatever you guys have. I need to know how I can have it too. You all believe things that it's probably difficult for a lot of people to believe and probably not a lot of people believe it. You all believe that middle school kids, high school kids, college kids, middle school kids, high school kids with disabilities, high school kids who are moms, you believe that all kids, their biggest problem is they don't know the God that made them. And they're separated from him. And you believe that what they need, what kids need, what middle school kids need, high school kids, college kids, you believe that what they need more than any other thing is to hear the news about Jesus. Open their heart to him. 
and begin a relationship with him. Not many people believe that. The person on your left believes it. And the person on your right believes it. And the person and the people in front of you believe it and the people behind you in this room believe it. When you believe something that's difficult to believe that not many people believe, that the problem with kids is that they don't know Jesus and they need to know him. The people who believe it with you are the most important people in your life. You believe that kids, the best way that kids could ever know Jesus is if you love them, is that if you open your like, life to them and you go to their stuff and you go to their <coughs> you know, schools, you go to their games when their parents don't go to their games. You go into the school. It is hard. I mean, it's to do what y'all do, I don't, you might do it so much you don't know this. It's super scary. I'll tell you something. Most pastors of big churches would pee in their pants before they would do what we do. I, I was talking uh, a few years ago. It was a group of Young Life regional directors, you know, like guys that are, the people that are over states and everything. And I was talking to a regional director to, of a Midwestern state. And I asked him, I said, are you a volunteer leader in your area? He said, it's amazing that you asked me that. He, he said, I haven't done that in 10 years. And I started thinking this year, I'm getting out of touch with like the real work of Young Life. So I started volunteering in my area. I said, how was it? He said, first two times I went in the high school, I parked my car, I walked into the high school. I took a few steps into the hall. I turned around, I walked out. I got in my car, I drove away, and I shook and I cried. I said, it's hard, isn't it? He said, yeah. It's super hard. What you do. I mean, I think about the area director in our area, Devin Accardi, Aaron Accardi. Walking with a high school girl while this girl's mother was dying. And then you wind up becoming the person who walks with this unchurched girl <coughs> who was dying. And you wind up being the one who's with her when she died. Devin, we, Devin, they took a bunch of kids from Oak Ridge High School to Frontier. And Devin took a kid, I mean, a kid named Cam that was just on his heart so much. And during, on the night that they had the crosstalk, um, they were having a leader meeting. And Devin started to pray for Cam. And he said, God, if you don't open Cam's heart, I am begging you, I'm begging you. If you don't open his heart, if you don't save him, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just started weeping and he was just sobbing. And everybody was just quiet while Devin sobbed for Cam. And he accepted Jesus that night. And uh, <laughs> the next year he did work crew. This kid Cam did work crew at Frontier. And there were some of the people that were on some, on, uh, they were interns there. And he introduced himself and said, hi, I'm from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Cam. And they said, oh, we've heard of you. <laughs> Devin and Aaron took a, a girl into their home who had two cats. They have five kids and eight cats. I mean, it's just like, you know, there's a kid. There was a kid. We did a, um, sometimes on Wednesday nights, um, we do the worship service out of the, out of the prison. I've got a, 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 young, a young man in my class named Rico. I love him to death. And he's just super sweet and he's super eager to learn and to grow. 
And, uh, and so Lee Younger, who works with me, and his wife Christy, they, they come out and help me um, when we do worship out there. And Christy had a Young Life t-shirt on, and Lee's a Young Life volunteer. And, um, and so Christy was wearing a Young Life t-shirt, and Rico said, Young Life, do you know about Young Life? And then we said, oh, yeah, we're all, like, so deep in it. And he was, and he was like, um, I grew up in church, just, and they were just preaching at me the whole time. But it wasn't until my leaders, John Jackson, April Jackson, Robbie Painter, they loved me. And they explained it in a way that I could understand it. I accepted Jesus Christ at Frontier Ranch. Are y'all going to keep coming out here? Will you help me walk with him again? You know, and um, you know, one time I'm going to write an article for that relationships magazine about people who <laughs> I am about people who did people who believe what you believe about kids that they need Jesus and they need love. But I'm going to write an article about people who people who did Young Life before Jim Rayburn was born. I don't know if you all have ever heard of, um, have you ever heard of Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was an evangelist. He, he preached the gospel, like before amplification, to 10 million people before he died at 63 in 1900 in England and Scotland and in the United States. But when he was young, like he, he was living in Chicago and he, was, um, he wanted to be a millionaire. That was a, he was a representative for a shoe company, and he wanted to be a millionaire before he was 30. But he came to know Jesus, and he wanted to serve, serve Jesus. And he started to get to know these kids that lived on, it was like the biggest slum in America. It was a place, I, I've tried to understand exactly where it is, but it's on the north side. Like if you're going down Michigan Avenue in Chicago, where the Chicago River cuts across Michigan Avenue, it's north of there. And it was the worst slums in the world. And there were these kids that were growing up with their parents were prostitutes and, and drug addicts. And the kids were abused and they were sexually abused. And there were thousands of them that lived there. And he just didn't know what to do. So he rented a saloon and he started gathering these kids. And, and they had, you know, he would, he would, they would sing songs, just crazy songs. And then they would play games. And then they would sing more songs. And then they would play games. And then he would give them a five-minute talk about Jesus. And then he would take a little break. And then he would do it again. And they would sing songs. And they would play games. And he'd beat them at their games and laugh like crazy. And they would sing more crazy songs, play more games. And he'd give them another five-minute talk about Jesus. And kids came to know Jesus. And they became his campaigner kids. And then he, tra he trained these kids. White kids, African-American kids, Native American kids, to be leaders. They had these names. They, their names were like Billy Blue Cannon and Jackie Candles and Smikes and Butcher Lil Ray. <laughs> they had these names. For, you know, that's a lot of a name for an eight-year-old, but a 10-year-old. But he wound up having 1,400 kids in his club. Abraham Lincoln, when he was going from Springfield, Illinois, to Washington, D.C., when he was elected president, stopped in Chicago to see this work that D.L. Moody was doing. And he was training leaders. And there was a kid, they found a kid that was walking every week to go to Moody's club four miles one way. And they asked him, why do you walk so far? And he said, because they love a feller over there. You know, I've got to, you know, when I think about people who believe what you believe, 
when not many people believe it. We, we had an area director named Bill, Bill Reeser. He's, uh, now he's like an assistant regional director. He's in the head of college young life in the Midwest. And but he used to be our area director. And there was a group of kids that like he, his campaigner kids really, some of them knew the Lord, some of them he wasn't so sure, but he just, for a year, like he just told them the gospel like all the time. And then he took them to Castaway. And um, cause the, you know, he was just gonna like, we're gonna nail this down. And so when they did the crosstalk um, and all the kids that went out for the 20 minutes and they came back in, you know, and they had some cabin questions and Bill said, okay, here's my question. If you died today, do you know where you're gonna go? And some of them were like, Bill, I thought I understood it and I'm not really so sure now. It seems all confusing. And Bill, he got upset, like Bill has a way of getting upset where he was a little bit angry and he was a little bit crying. And he said, I told you this a thousand times. I, Jesus came down from heaven. He was God and became a human being to pay for your stupid sins. And then he paid for them and he rose from the dead and he's offering you a gift. It's a gift of a complete forgiveness. And all you have to do is say, I want it, I'll take it. You're not done. Get back out there. Go on back out, out in the dark. And he said, don't come back until you've settled it. So I don't really recommend that, but it worked that time. You know, I just in thinking about people that believe like you and the people beside you believe like you and the people in this room believe like you. The people in this room are some of the most important people in your life. Because when you believe something that's difficult to believe and few people believe it, the people who believe it with you are the people who matter most. There was a, so about two years ago, I was driving one morning um, just through like Oak Ridge and I was in front of like where Aldi's was. And there was this guy, like it's tall, I, I just thought he was like a tall African-American guy carrying a tire. He was just carrying this tire. So I just stopped and I said, hey man, can I help you? And he looked at me and he said, I don't speak English. And, um, and I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Venezuela. And I was in, I, so I went, I went to, I was in Venezuela in 2004 for their Young Life camp in, um, uh, for a week. And it was like one of the greatest weeks of my life. And I said, jump in. So we, so I, I, we, he got in and I helped him with his tire. He told me all about his life. And he said, you know, my wife and I, I came here on a three month engineering visa because I'm an engineer. I was an engineer back in, back in Venezuela, but we have a two year old son and um, my visa's run out. I don't have any documentation, but we can't go back. We have, there's no food. He said, there's no medicine. It's a, it's a disaster. My country is a disaster. So I'm working without, you know, I'm working without documentation. I'm working construction and um, that's what I'm doing. And so, um, but anyway, I was gonna, I didn't ask him for his phone number because it's scary times and you know what I mean? And so anyway, I knew where he lived. I knew where they were living because he told me. And it was these apart this apartment complex where there's like a bunch of apartments and parking lots and stuff. It goes on for about a mile. So on Sunday, I said, I'm going to go look for him. And so, um, so I went through all the park. I knew what his car looked like. So I went in all the parking lots. And I got to the, and I couldn't find him. And I got to the very last parking lot. And I found his car. And I, I thought, he's right there. And he comes out of the house with his wife, Gabby, and a two-year-old boy. And he said, Tom, I said, David, he gave me a big hug. And he said to his wife, his, her name was, was Gabby. He said, he said, Gabby, it's just Tom. And she said, hello, how do you do? And I said, you speak really wonderful English. And she said, yeah, I was an exchange student in the States and I learned English there. 
And I said, you know, I was in your country once. And she said, were you in Rubio? And I said, how did you know that? And she said, David told me that you were like a Protestant pastor or something. And all the Protestant missions and groups had their headquarters in Rubio. And I said, I was in Rubio. I, see, I told her, I said, I was there with a group called Young Life. And her eyes filled with tears. She said, I love Young Life. I said, how do you know Young Life? She said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior in 2009 at Sharp Talk Cove. It's a magical place. I said, yeah, it is. Hey, thanks for letting me be here and um, be with you. It's, the, it's just the honor of my life. And I'm super, super thankful to be in the same room. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Tom Job. If you'd like to have more Tom Job in your life, and I know you do, you can find his sermons in the show notes. Anyway, hope you have a great day.